Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke, the second chapter, uh, verses 1 through 15. Now, we started reading the second chapter a couple of weeks ago, and we've been um, adding uh, more and more verses as we went. Uh, sort of like our own, uh, our own sort of advent calendar. We're counting down, and, uh, and eventually we'll get through the whole passage. Um, so uh, today, this morning, we get to add the part about the shepherds. Um, so uh, Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 15. Hear now the word of our Lord. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went down to their own town to register. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of this Holy Spirit. Amen. Archaeologists in Turkey found a stone inscription celebrating the birth of the Son of God. Uh, the, the, the stone inscription praised the Son of God and called him the Savior of the world. It said that he brought peace to the earth and that his reign was good news to all. The same inscription then declared that from this day forward, our entire calendar will be organized around the birth of the Son of God. This stone inscription dates back to the year 9 BC. And the Son of God it described was a man named Caesar, Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the first Roman emperor. His uh, reign uh, spelled out the end of the Roman Republic, the end of Roman democracy, and the beginning of the Roman Empire. And he was loved and revered by the people. They truly did believe that he was a son of God and that he was their savior. They truly did believe that he had brought peace 
to the earth. See, Augustus, um, uh, actually his uncle, but, but uh, uh, adopted him as son. His father was, uh, was the popular general Julius Caesar. And uh, Julius Caesar was so popular with the people that, uh, that, 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 that the Roman Senate was afraid that maybe he had designs on making himself an emperor. And so maybe you've seen the scene in movies, right? At two Brugus, and uh, he gets stabbed in the back right there in the middle of the Roman Senate. Well, during, uh, during uh, Caesar's, um, the, uh, uh, the, the time of mourning for Julius Caesar, a new star shows up in the sky, a bright comet that's, that's visible even in the daytime. And the common people uh, loved Julius Caesar so much that they, that they felt this new, this new star was, uh, was, was Caesar's um, soul going up into heaven. And that this must mean that Caesar was now a god. Well, following Julius Caesar's funeral, there's a uh, bloody civil war uh, that, 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 that's to determine who is going to be in charge of Rome from here on out. And Caesar's son, Augustus, was fighting in that civil war. And in order to get the common people behind him, he promoted this, this, this myth that Julius Caesar was now a god and went around calling himself the Divius Philae, the son of God. Coins from the time of Julius Caesar's reign show on one side uh, the head of Julius Caesar and on the other side they show the star, the brightly colored comet to remind everyone who's spending money in the markets that Caesar, Augustus, is the son of the divine, the son of God. People truly did believe that Caesar was the son of God. They truly did believe that he was their savior. After all, he'd brought an end to this period of bloody civil war. The people in that time had grown tired of democracy. They had grown tired of the Roman Senate. They felt the Senate was just full of a, of, of a bunch of rich plutocrats that, that didn't have their best interest at heart. And so when, 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 when Caesar Augustus showed up willing to abolish the, the Roman Senate and take power for himself, the people were behind him. One of the first things he did in 22 BC was to end a food shortage. The rich were hoarding up the grain for themselves and, uh, and, and Caesar Augustus um, um, opened the storehouses and gave grain to everybody. And the common people rejoiced and they called him their savior. This new era, this new golden age for Rome was known as the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Because as the Roman Empire spread throughout the world, there was less and less conflict. They truly did believe his reign was good news and had brought peace to the earth. Caesar Augustus was loved and admired by Rome. They saw him as a semi-divine savior brought peace and goodwill to all. Now, bringing peace usually equals conquering people, doesn't it? 
and people on the other end of that sword don't necessarily feel the same way, do they? The conquered peoples saw less good news in the Roman Empire than the Romans did. And this was especially true of the Jews living in Judea and Jerusalem. They didn't see Caesar as a son of God. One of the most important articles of the Jewish faith is this. There is one God and God is one. For anyone to call themselves a God or a son of God to them was heresy. Every Jewish child was taught uh, from an early age every day to recite the Shema. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind. It's blasphemy for Caesar to call himself the son of God. And for them, it was idolatry to serve Caesar. For them, the Romans were nothing more than, than, than more pagan oppressors and a long line of pagan oppressors. It was a threat to their culture and way of life. They weren't saviors. After all, uh, uh, the Jews had just celebrated a hundred years of independence under the Hasmonean dynasty. They had won their, their, their independence uh, from, from the Greeks a century before. And when Augustus took over, he ended the Hasmonean dynasty. He installed a puppet king named Herod who was no more Jewish than Caesar was. And he levied Heavy, heavy taxes. Now, I've jumped through and seen the yellow flags with the snake taxed enough already, right? Don't tread on me, right? No one likes taxes. But I think uh, in modern times, we have no idea how oppressive taxes truly used to be, how, how, how life-threatening they were, how you could groan under the weight of them, and, 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 and fear for whether you were going to be able to feed your family or you were going to lose all of your possessions when the tax man came to town. For Jews living in Judea, Caesar Augustus was not the son of God and the Savior. He was yet another foreign king like Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh. And the announcement of Caesar Augustus' reign was not good news for them. Quite the opposite. It was a sign that maybe God had abandoned his people. That maybe they were still in exile. 400 years before, there was this thing called the Babylonian exile. Remember, uh, the Babylonians invade Jerusalem, they destroy the temple, and they lead people off in chains. And for about 70 years, 70, 90 years, give or take, depending on what wave you were in, that, la that exile lasted. 
And during that, that 70, 90 years, there was a flourishing of prophetic literature and prophets uh, 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 raised up and promised the people that if they returned to God with all of their hearts, he would restore their fortunes, that he would level every mountain, that he would, he would, he would make a straight path, a highway through the wilderness back to Jerusalem. And that, that, that he would give them a king in the line of David who would rule over them when they returned. And that it would be an idyllic existence. That, 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 that when they returned, that it, it would be a peaceful time. It was described as, as, as a holy mountain where, where brothers and sisters could live together in harmony and the, 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 the wolf and the sheep would lay down together and everyone could uh, enjoy the fruit of their own labors and sit under the shade of their own vine and nations would come from all over the world to, to learn about Israel and their God. And every sword would be beaten into a plowshare and every uh, a spear would be, would, would be bent into a pruning hook and no one would even know how to fight anymore. Well, the expectation didn't quite meet the reality. They did go back, and it seemed a lot harder than they were promised. And they still did no war. They still did no conquest. Soon the Greeks invaded. And there began to be this belief that maybe the exile had never really ended. That maybe they were still, even though they were in the homeland, that they were still in exile somehow. Among the Romans, among the Jews, when, when, when they were just talking amongst themselves about the Romans, they called them Babylon. Because in their mind, exile had never really ended. Somehow history had all gone wrong. Somehow God had abandoned his people, turned his back on his promises. Somehow after all these years, they were still bowing and scraping to foreign kings, still in exile. Now some gave in to this cynicism. They decided that God was angry at their sins and that he had just changed his mind about his promises. Others, others, and I would say the majority, believed that God was faithful, that God would be true to his promise, that he would deliver his people, and they began to look toward a figure who would fulfill those promises, a figure that they called the Messiah. Now, Messiah means anointed one. It's the Hebrew word for king, right? Because when, when a king is crowned, one of the first things that happens in the Israelite tradition is that they're anointed. And so what they were waiting for was a new David. Remember, several weeks ago, we talked about that, that God had promised David when David wanted to build the temple. God promised him. He made this promise. I will build your house. I will establish your throne forever. And a king and the line of David will sit on the throne forever. And so people believed that, that God would be true to that promise. That this was just a break and forever. And that, uh, that, that, that a king and the line of David would come back and rule in justice and peace. 
And so they were looking to the halls of power for, for, for a Messiah to show up who would, who would drive the Romans out of town and establish the throne of David once again. He was the focus of their hope and devotion. Generations of Jews prayed every day for a Messiah, for deliverance. See, though they were worlds apart, Jews and Romans had this in common. They were looking for salvation in earthly kings, in emperors and messiahs. They were looking for salvation. They were looking for good news in the halls of power. It's different for us, right? Maybe. I'd say everyone in here probably uh, relies on Jesus for, for, for their spiritual salvation, right? That, 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 that their salvation is sort of put in a little, in a little lockbox for after they die. But when it comes to the real stuff down here, the real stuff we're dealing with day in and day out, we're still looking to put our faith in princes. We're still looking to the halls of power for deliverance. We're still looking to political leaders for restoration or progress, whatever your speed is. I'll never forget the first time I saw the president's face on a Bible. I was at a, like a, um, a, a Christian bookstore, it's a decade ago, and saw um, this, little, this little Bible cover you could put on your Bible, and it, it, had, it had Barack Obama's face on it, and, and some kind of verse about a nation that, that loves the Lord kind of thing. I thought, good gracious. Who would put the president's face on a Bible? Uh, that, that's dangerously close to confusion. Some of y'all are smirking. I'm about to get to you. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because I've seen, uh, I've seen pictures, of, like paintings, of, uh, uh, of President Trump kneeling in the Oval Office with, with, with Jesus standing behind him, hand on his shoulder, and like, I'm going to show you what to do. It's dangerously close, guys. You, uh, you, um, if you know people that are deep into that, uh, that, that QAnon conspiracy stuff, that's a lot like messianic expectation. That's a lot like the Jews of the first century waiting for, uh, 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 reading the tea leaves, looking through shadowy prophecies, waiting for some deliverer to show up out of nowhere and, and, and restore things the way they should be. For many among us, politics has become something of a second religion. And for a lot of people, it's become a primary religion. And by religion, I mean this. What shapes your values? What tells you how to live? What tells you uh, 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 what to do and where to go and, 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 and how to walk and be in this world? That's your religion. So hopefully I've not ticked everybody off in here. I'm just trying to tell you 
the truth. Because here's the problem. No political leader, whether they check every box and bullet point, no political leader can solve your spiritual problems. No political leader is going to bring about the kingdom of God. No political leader is going to raise up a mountain of peace and harmony, a new golden age. And I know every four years we act like it's the apocalypse, like it's the children of light against the children of darkness, and this is going to settle it all forever. And in four years we do it again. No human being can live up to that. And when we put our faith in princess, which the Bible says not to do, we set ourselves up for disappointment and despair. We look to the halls of power and see same old, same old, and we decide, well, God is just not keeping up his end of the bargain. But here's the good news. God never promised to show up in the halls of power. God promises to show up in the stalls of the powerless. God promised to show up in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem to a group of country bumpkins called shepherds. I don't know if you all know this, but, but, but back, in, uh, back in, in the first centuries, uh, a shepherd wasn't a particularly an illustrious job. You know, being babysitters for a bunch of sheep, this was for uh, young people and old men, uh, people that really, um, you know, weren't good for much else. God shows up to the least and lost of this world, announcing good news. And this is the way it's always been, hasn't it? When we look upon salvation history, we see that God is always constantly showing up to shepherds. A shepherd named Abram is out with this flock and receives this message from God. Leave your father and your father's household and go to the place I'm going to send you. And I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the heaven. And I will make your name great. A young shepherd named Moses. Moses is a burning bush. He goes over to, 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 to see it. And he receives a message. Leave Midian. Go to Egypt. For I have heard my people's cries. And I am about to deliver them. And I am going to work signs and wonders. Just got done talking about a shepherd named David who lived in Bethlehem, a town so small nobody cared about it. And God raised him up as a king after his own heart. The angels show up to the shepherds and they, they have a birth announcement. They too have good news of great joy for all people. 
But this good news is not, uh, is not rooted in, 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 in earthly politics. This good news is, is rooted in God and what God promises God is going to do. Because unto us this day in the city of David, a Savior has been born. And this Savior is not an emperor just saving everyone with the sword. This Savior is going to lay down his life for his people. Who is Christ our Lord. Christ is the Greek word for the Messiah, the anointed one. This person you've been praying for, hoping for. This person that you believe is going to, to end the exile, God is sending to you. It's here. You can start rejoicing. It's happening now. But don't look to the halls of power for it. Look to the stalls of the powerless, because this will be a sign to you. In Luke's gospel, there's no star. He doesn't mention it. I don't know why, but I suspect it's because of this. Because he, he doesn't want you to get confused. He doesn't want you to think about Julius Caesar's star up there in the heaven because that's not the kind of savior we have. This is the sign to you. I don't know about you guys, but if I saw angels, that would be the sign, right? If I saw angels in the sky, I'd say, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I believe that. But no, the, the angel said, this is the sign. This is how you'll know all of this is true. Because you're going to see a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a stone manger. I don't know if y'all remember that stone manger I showed you a couple weeks ago. Picture the baby wrapped in cloths, so tight, can't move its arms or its legs. It looks like a little mummy, almost, laying in that stone manger. What does that look like to you? See, I think to Luke's readers, Luke's audience, I think to those shepherds, I would have looked an awful lot like a body laying in a tomb. This is a sign to you of what kind of Savior you have, of what kind of God you have. A God that would be helpless, a God that can't even move his arms and legs, a God that is totally at the mercy of this world. But in that helplessness will come the victory. See, our God did not come as an emperor into the halls of power. He came as a baby in the stalls of the powerless. And the shepherds said, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing which God has told us about. Let us go to Bethlehem and see. See, I believe that if you want to see God at work in this world, turn off the news, get off the Twitter and the Facebook and the Snappy Chat or whatever it is you do. 
go to the stalls of the powerless. Go to where real people are struggling to live their real lives, and there you will see God at work. And there you will see God moving. Let us go to Grayson County and see this thing that God has told us about. Let us see what God is going to do through Care Portal and the, and, and the lives of, 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 of the orphans in our community of families trying to keep their families together, uh, 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 of people uh, 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 starting new families. Let's see what God is going to do in Grayson County through the ministries of this church. Let us go to Kentucky and see the people dispossessed, rebuilding their lives from the wreckage. when everyone else turns their back and forgets. Let's see what God is going to do when his people open their hearts and their wallets. Let's go to Nicaragua and see what God is going to do. A little orphanage called El Ayudante, the helper. When helpers show up, let's see what God is going to do. Let's go to Bethlehem this Christmas and see what the God of shepherds and manger is doing. Because 2,000 years ago, a king was born, the savior of the world, and no one etched it in stone. But it is etched in each of our hearts. Each of us can rejoice this morning. Each of us can celebrate this morning. Not because God showed up in the halls of power. No. Behold. I bring you good tidings of great joy. For unto us this day in the city of David, a Savior has been born, who is Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. Shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.